Welcome to episode 202 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we review State of Origin 1 and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Right, welcome to episode 202 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I am your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, this is a very special uh, event, a very special episode where we give our kind of raw, raw views of um, State of Origin Game 1, which we've just witnessed, and... Uh, yeah, look, uh, it's 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 a big one. It's all about State of Origin game one, and boy, did uh, did it deliver. Mm. <laughs> what do you what are your first impressions before we dive into what happened? Well, look, uh, yeah, Doctor T, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's always exciting to talk about State of Origin. Um, you know, particularly the first one, game one, so much anticipation, and uh, yeah, I think um, you know, I think uh, who are the Blues playing next week? Are we playing? Uh, WA or Victoria because I feel like uh, I feel like we need we need some competition here you know like it's uh, you know, we're done we're done already the, the concept is over the concept <laughs> yeah that's right but an amazing performance and I've got to say like it was it was it was an interesting um, you know experiment up in Townsville um, mm. watching it and and you know there was there was uh, I mean there were you did see from time to time some people were dressed in blue. But the high shot of a completely red maroon stadium—it looked—it looked like there was no New South Wales supporters there, like you know, from a long view. It was, it was, it was actually quite a, you know, it was a bit cultish, a, a little bit like it was like a, you know, the cult of Queensland type thing. You know, everybody's like dressed the same way and, um, you know, have the same rhetoric and uh, yeah, just an amazing, amazing sort of. Uh, uh, type of game, but yeah, but look, uh, I know we're gonna get into it, and I think, uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be great. What, what about yourself, there, Doctor? What was your sort of, uh, yeah? Well, I, I mean, yeah. Well, the impressions be beyond yeah. the game itself. I thought, look, to me, going into the game, it was all about, you know, this is the first time they've played at this new stadium at Townsville. You know, mm. this was a last minute thing because of what's happened with Victoria and the COVID situation and the lockdown. And so the NRL or the ARL, I guess, had to adjust and adjust that they did. And we disagreed with the venue uh, choice, but, you know, they put on a bit of a show. It was a good venue. It was very, very much a worthy of a state of origin kind of venue. Um, but, yeah, look, without much further ado, let's just launch into what actually happened and then we'll start our review. So I'm going to look – Let's start with the basics. The Blues are 1-0 up in this State of Origin series after demolishing the Maroons 50 points to 6. Unbelievable. At Queensland Country Bank Stadium, Townsville, the conditions were good, the weather was fine, and the attendance was 27,533. Uh, as I said, well done, uh, Townsville. Put on a good show. Uh, pre-show, there was uh, the Veronicas uh, made an appearance and lit up the Twitter Twitterverse 
with uh, look, there was a combination, or you know, a mixture, I should say, of uh, you know people saying, "What's this all about?" Having the Veronicas as uh, pre-State of Origin entertainment, and then others were saying, "This is awesome!" You know, they did a, a great show, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's good that the NRL is doing this, appealing to different sort of uh, groups as well. So. Um, Anyway, so that's how it started, and once the game started, it really, well, you know, for a while, um, well, let's let's look at the stats first. So eight tries to one, so a totally, totally dominant performance. Uh, For Queensland, the lone try came in the 34th minute to Kurt Capewell. Uh, and basically that's it. They, they really, they only had one other chance close to full time. And we'll talk about that later. Cause I, to me, that forms the highlight of the game actually. But in terms of what the blues did, well, Tommy Trebojevich opened up proceedings in the 17th minute. So that's a bit, you know, it's a bit unusual because it's a bit unusual that, that it takes 17 minutes for any tries to be scored in state of origin. Although, the Blues were 2-0 up after nine minutes uh, with a penalty goal to Nathan Cleary. But then the tries started coming. Toto scored his two tries within the space of five minutes. Latrell Mitchell scored two tries. Uh, and Tommy Turbo scored another two tries and Daniel Sefiti as well. So Tommy Turbo opened up proceedings, finished them off at 68 in the 68th minute. And obviously Nathan Cleary, uh, 100% with the boot, as as well as Latrell Mitchell, I think, had one shot at goal at one point when when possibly when Nathan Cleary was off with a bit of a, uh, a face uh, face gash that leaked lots of blood that needed to be attended to. Um, Halftime, the score was 20 to 6 in favour of the Blues. So obviously uh, they... uh, up to gear in, in the second half. They, they they ended up winning the second half 30-0. So uh, that, that's pretty good. In terms of the statistics of top-performing players, we've got um, uh, on the Queensland side, Harry Grant, 40 tackles. Damien Cook, 34. Most run metres, uh, Brian Toll with 20, uh, sorry, 233. Uh, versus uh, the the top for Queensland was Valentine Holmes at 446. Um, most line breaks. Uh, sorry, what was that? It was uh, 146. Not what did I say? 446. Oh no no I think oh, anyway sorry yeah, I think I must have bumped my my microphone 146 of course. Yeah. Um, Brian Tors had two line breaks. Kurt Cable had one. And uh, anyone following the fantasy points would get Nathan Cleary at 89 points. Um, and the Queensland's best was uh, Moaki Fatuika for 47 points there. So, look, stats aside, um, let's talk about what went right for the Blues because it's obviously the first thing that comes to mind is uh, it was just a total dominant performance. And my question, Tish, which we need to kind of – let's unpack this. Why was it a dominant performance? So, Tish, do we have an answer? Why was this a dominant Blues performance? What is it that they did that, mm. differently from other years? 
<laughs> you know, and then we can dive into reasons reasons why. And, and if, um, I should add that the official man of the match was Tommy Turbo, Tommy Trebojevic, yeah. uh, the Channel 9 man of the match. Um, I have a differing view, even though he's a great player. I kind of thought that without Jerome Luai, I don't think we would have seen anywhere near the score that, that we saw. I think a lot of the the uh, the, the service, servicing the backs was because of the Jerome Luai and particularly the combination with uh, Nathan Cleary. I think that's what really uh, set apart this team from other teams in the past. Um, but, yeah, what are your thoughts of uh, what, what, why, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, very good question. I think everybody's asking that. Uh, why, why, why? And I think uh, probably even uh, Paul Green's probably haunted by why, why, why at the moment. <laughs> you know, it's you know, what a horrendous way to start your state of origin coaching career, you know. Um, but, like, you know, we went through play stats. I just thought uh, I'll just look at the team stats a little bit because uh, I did hear something on the radio today which kind of surprised me a little bit. But I just want to read out a couple of things about uh, p- the possession stats, right? So... Um, New South Wales had 51% of the ball and Queensland had 49% of the ball, right? Okay, um, not too different. Not too different. And then completions, this is kind of interesting too. So uh, New South Wales completed 32 out of 40 at 80% and Queensland uh, completed at 31 out of 40, 78%. So both teams actually got 40 sets of, uh, wow. uh, you know, of, of, of sets. Now, there were a lot more restarts that, uh, set restarts that Queensland got in the end. But just, I mean, um, if you look at those overall time and position, the opportunity to score a try, well, they both had an even amount of time to actually score points. But obviously New South Wales is a lot more potent with what they were doing with the ball versus what Queensland was. was um, and, you know, for me, there was... there was uh, Look, I think um, there was... I, I know... Uh, you know, a lot of people have been praising Tommy Trevojevic, and and I do believe he had an absolute amazing game. But he had a bit of a bromance with Latrell Mitchell out there, right? Um, you know, it, <laughs> that's it, right. It, it isn't since the what the the late eighties, early nineties, how we had the inside and outside center sort of positions. But essentially, that's what they were doing. They were sort of roaming around both sides of the field and creating space, or sort of creating overlaps. On each way, um, and I think I heard uh, who did I hear? Uh, Peter Sterling, I think. Yeah, uh, Peter Sterling. So, somebody mentioned that you know Queensland were trying to defend the space, um, whereas whereas but New South Wales was attacking through like overlaps, like not necessarily space. So having more bodies um, on a particular side of the field. Uh, and that's probably what it was a little bit. They kind of went to a bit of old-school tactics a little bit, like and having the two centers play together, having the halves play together, and you saw just, you know, players who love to play uh, an ad-lib freeze type of football, Yeah. you know, get get possession, and, they, and, and I think that's kind of what they did, um, which was kind of amazing to watch. And uh, but I think the danger is I don't know how you can replicate that week in week out if you go back to the system where you're you know uh, left centre right centre you know I, I, it was just yeah but it was it was like a Harlem Globetrotters um, type football sometimes you know it was <laughs> yeah. just like tricks here and there and everything and uh, I mean yeah I mean it didn't start off that way it was a bit of a tussle let's let's give where credits due the New South Wales forwards definitely dominated over the Queensland forwards 
They were able to get, um, you know, able to do all the hard work in, and um, and that is why Queensland were only scored six points out of the whole game. Um, didn't even score the last try, which they always do. So that shows that New South Wales did come in with a defensive mindset, um, and in and from an attacking through that way, they went uh, they went crazy. Uh, for Queensland, I think you know Cameron Munster and um, Harry Grant were kind of their only real uh, two players that seemed to try to create anything. Um, and the try they did score was actually probably what they should have been trying to do all game, which was you know Tommy Trebojevic ran out, um, didn't play you know that defensive center role that well, and they were able to get around him. And uh, I don't, I think they tried it once and scored, and they didn't try it ever again. So, like, mm. and I didn't see them kick to the debut top Brian Toho at all. Like, I felt like, you know, you've got a player on debut. Queensland are usually masters at embarrassing, uh, embarrassing debutants, but they, they, did, they didn't seem to have that ruthless aggression of going after, uh, you know, the debutants a little bit. They kind of, uh, I felt like they gave, you know, they were kicking it to Adokar and to Tedesco, who... You know, I mean, um, out of a very experienced, kicks, exactly, exactly. <laughs> out of a hundred kicks, they might they might have one, you know, lapse in judgment. Um, whereas you give it to a kid that's under pressure, I feel like you would have had a bit more. So, yeah, it was mm. it, it was it was kind of remarkable to watch uh, how how New South Wales were attacking and um, yeah, and I think yeah, Queensland, it's uh, it's going to be a big challenge. Um, but I like what Brad Spitler said after the game, where he did say that. Um, Every year we have one, you know, out of the last few years, every year there's been one game where New South Wales has gone, has run away with it. Um, but we've lost a few series in that time as well. So just yeah. because we've lost one game, we haven't actually achieved anything, which I mean, just because we won one game uh, convincingly doesn't mean we've, we've won anything. And, you know, they don't get a, they don't get a 44 point advantage. In the next game, they start off at nil all. So that's right. Yeah, um, you know, so it all it, starts again. Yeah, it all yeah. starts again. Yeah. So yeah, but that was my overall thoughts on how how it's gone. You, you did raise an interesting point about the man of the match. So so, do you think Tom Travoyevic was uh, maybe somebody else was overlooked there, Doctor T? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I have to admit, like I sometimes when you watch these things, you kind of watch it on your own, and then you mm. get swayed by the commentators. And that's true. And I must admit, there was this feeling that I actually thought Brian Tor might have got it, mm. but I ref- I think look, it's pro- possibly because it took them so long to actually announce the man of the match. Because they they had gone through so many you know dressing room uh, interviews with Brad Fittler etc. At one point I thought did they did they announce it and I missed it or something was it you know <laughs> and I think in that time it actually allowed me to reflect a bit more on what I had witnessed and 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 basically I I just kind of thought at the end of the day I was just thinking what was the difference between the two sides? And, and there were many differences, but what was the key and who performed, you know, and, and who was kind of the, the critical? Now, obviously, everyone and all the, the media is talking about Tommy Turbo and and his uh, performances, etc. And, you know, it helps that he scored three tries. But I can't get away from the fact that the reason why the backs, the reason why the centres were allowed to do what they did the reason why 
um, there was so much ball movement and and free flowing play, really ultimately came down to the halves, and more to the point, it really came down to Jerome Luai. I think Jerome Luai has been the X factor at Penrith for a long, long time. And he's the reason why they're succeeding at the moment. And there's no doubt in my mind that that's the reason why that attitude uh, and the style of play has translated so well to, to Origin in his debut match. He's going to play for Samoa. And we're going to, I want to talk about maybe later the, con, the there was a Mal Meninga uh, dis, discussion, which uh, we're going to, let's just mental note, we'll talk about that before we go. We definitely need to talk about it. But if we're just looking at Jerome Luai, I mean, he is a superstar on the rise and, and about to play for Samoa uh, this year in the World Cup. And. You know, look out. Um, we're talking about the resurgence of Samoa. We talked about that a few weeks ago with the Johns boys and Sonny Bill wanting to coach them, etc. Well, he is a big reason why. Um, he's just going to light up the international game. And in day on his debut, uh, State of Origin, a very highly anticipated post-COVID kind of, uh, you know, uh, series. And... In their first game, they've just—I think it was a record, almost a record margin in uh, state of origin uh, history, you know. And I think it was all down to—it wasn't down to one player. I'm not suggesting, but if I'm sort of comparing the influence of various players, um, you know, I would counter the 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 Tommy Turbo, uh, you know innovative style of play of the inside and outside centers in the same side of the field. Um, that definitely was a big master master stroke, uh, coaching master stroke, I think from Brad Fittler. But I think again, if it wasn't for the way the halves played and they're taking their Panthers form and uh, attacking kind of style to the origin arena, uh, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have seen half as many of the tries that we saw and, and the dominance on that side of the, you know, the side of the field that, uh, you know, it was really the left side of the field where they dominated um, in attack. So, yeah, so that's my view. Um, look, I, I just put that out there as a, you know, it's a bit counter uh, counter to the prevailing kind of uh, media mm. sentiment. Um, but, but let me get your thoughts on that. I mean, am I off my rocker or do I, is it, is there some element of, you know, can you, can you see where I'm coming from with Jerome being possibly, uh, the, the man of the match for, uh, or the overlooked one for, um, game one? Well, well, absolutely. Like, um, I, I think the first thing about Jerome and the 5F is that a, he was on debut and probably, um, you know, uh, if you think about the 5F role, probably since James Maloney, um, there hasn't been that, um, strong candidate for that role. Um, I know that Luke Keery seems to be injured uh, every every year when the, the state of origin comes <laughs> around. Mm. Um, so he's obviously been a, a strong contender, but never has had that chance. And you know, Cody Walker, they've tried him a couple of times. I think they've tried Whiten as well. And although they're fantastic players in club football, e- e- even strong performances in the state of origin, um, you know that ability to to really make a difference on you know in the, in the match has been. Um, has been a bit missing. Um, but then I think Jerome really stepped up and there was a couple of clean breaks. You see, you see that stat around line breaks is a bit weird because there was 
There was a clear line break uh, by um, Jerome Lua that actually set up a try. Um, I want to say, yeah, it sort of, you know, midway through the second half, which I think got to, in the end, it was uh, Tommy who sort of was uh, following that up. Yeah. You know, and then, and I think, uh, I think Cleary then did the same thing on the other end, which, uh, which I think also went to Tom Travoy for cleaning up too, right? So you could kind of see where, and I think, and I think Jerome also gives confidence around the players around him. I think that's the, that sort of, you know, it's it, it it's not measured in stats, but just that influence of, of of having, um, you know, somebody who's probably a little, um, you know, probably not that strong in defense, but then holding his own, and then in attack, making sure that, um, you know, he's not trying to run the show, but just trying to. Uh, organized the show a little bit, like there was a bit of that, but then, you know, he also took his chances too. So I think it was a very well balanced game by Jerome. So, look, I, I think definitely he's a candidate. I think, look, it would have been very difficult to pick yesterday. I mean, clearly, I mean, James Tedesco. We didn't even talk about him, but he he had a phenomenal game as well, and uh, you know, ran, you know, ran for for you know over two hundred meters as well. Brian Toho ran for two hundred. So there's there's yeah. a lot of players that actually did well and. Yeah, but it's not always about the stats as well. Like, I mean, um, you know, Cleary's done more run meters than uh, Jerome during the game, but I would say that the influence that Jerome had might be even a little bit greater than the, um, you know, than the, the than what um, than what uh, Cleary had. But uh, look, like I, I think I think I mean everybody as IEO with that with that very strong uh, tackle towards the end. I think even Tarek Sims with that phenomenal pass in the first half. Um, you know, to to Toho, it wasn't it wasn't one of the halves. It was him. Um, so probably you know probably the uh, yeah uh, it's uh, yeah if this team can stay healthy, um, you know it's I think they've built a really good culture. You could kind of tell it as as well in the just the way they were playing. They were very um, very uh, sort of uh, you know like uh, comfortable with playing with one another. Nobody seemed to be yeah. overwrought or nervous. It was it had a really good vibe. Just their mentality and. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it was, and then on the other end, um, yeah, Queensland, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Let's not, let's not talk about Queensland. No, look, we can I just sort of take you up on what you just said, which I wanted to pick up on the culture and the vibe. I think was something. The other thing that I noticed that I, that came through uh, with the debutants, Luai and Toa, and 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 really, it's the Panthers kind of combination. I think probably helped them to actually get kind of calm and slide into the game readily and not get too nervous um there was there was media reports that you know uh, luai and toro uh, were just just had their music boombox going and uh it really just had a good good, good sent a good vibe across across the team they were just sort of chilling out it was a it was a great atmosphere and it i think that probably helped to loosen up the the team actually like i mean it's that kind of stuff is infectious. There was a reference to that. Uh, Brad Fittler, when he was being interviewed, was saying that, you know, I don't understand this crappy modern music that these kids like, <laughs> which was very <laughs> funny considering, I still, you know, if you look at, I still look at Brad Fittler, even though, you know, I don't know how old he is. He's probably in his late forties, but he, um, I still think he's – I still remember him as a young Penrith kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, he's yeah. – compared to some of the other kind of uh, commentators, etc. I still see him as a young kid. So it was very funny to hear that, like a very much an old man's kind of, oh, I don't understand the youth nowadays and their music. Um, 
but to me i thought that was that that culture thing is really important i think uh, you mentioned that that you know that when you've got players that you're comfortable with from club football and you it's just a continuation of that panthers vibe and it's not just you know they're also a team that's pretty much you know up until last week were undefeated um, <laughs> this year so they're a team that's actually going well they're dominating the competition uh, and they're doing it in an attacking style which is highly entertaining highly infectious in terms of the culture and positive uh, great for the game in terms of entertainment value and all they've done is just sort of translated that to the origin arena so they haven't really let origin and the the occasion get to them because to them it's just like i guess a continuation of of the good times <laughs> you know basically and I think that's really awesome. Um, in fact, there was one one other comment that I want to make with Jerome Luai. There was this um, uh, bit of a controversy, but it was pretty hilarious when he had an interaction with Jared Sutton as a referee. He called him bro, <laughs> which um, which apparently sent Twitter into into um, overdrive. Uh, you know, so again, it, it was that kind of that sort of shows. You know, he was very much. Uh, in his element, Jerome Luai. Um, and I think that that sort of infected the others as well. And, yeah, like, uh, as you said, pretty much all the backs played brilliantly. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, obviously, the forwards. Yeah, the forwards dominated the, the Queensland forwards. Um, Damien Cook, let's not forget, he uh, did what he needed to do to get the momentum going. Um, the the actual, you know, the other forwards as well did well. Payne Haas had a great game. Um uh, Safiti had a great game, you know. So they, it all kind of clicked, uh, which, again, when when you mentioned Fitler's comments, he was basically saying, let's enjoy this. Let the kids enjoy this for a bit. Um, it's a big occasion. It was a great win. But we have to remember that Queensland has done, <laughs> done us over a few times mm. in recent history where we had a big win and then they came away with um, – the the two wins that are needed to win the series in tighter and closer games. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, Brad Fittler put, going to put a lid on it when the time is right. But for now, they're just uh, enjoying the occasion and enjoying the fact that so many um, so many great players had great games. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's New South Wales. Um, and I'll, I'll get into the Meninga thing later. But, yeah, Queensland, unfortunately, I guess the question to ask is what do they need to change uh, mm. in order to be competitive next time? Do you have any views on that? Yeah, look, I, I do. I, as, as I mentioned, um, I felt like the, um, you know, exploiting the fact that you've got, um, you know, Tom Provojevic playing in the centres um, and uh, some of the defensive reads might be a little wrong. Like, I think he basically, uh, you know, the way they scored that try is that, they got him to come up uh, quicker than Cleary and then ran around him. Um, I think if they would introduce tactics like this, I think, I mean, he may not fall for it every time you do it, but if you try it enough times, there there will be a mistake here or there because defensively he's playing out of position, right? So so I think they they have to have that sort of uh, yeah, a bit like Cooper Cronk, you know, he kind of, kept on applying the pressure over and over again in, in certain parts of the field to try and make things happen. I think from an attacking point of view, that they need to have that that option. Um, 
you know, as well as the Cameron Munster. I don't think Cameron Munster can run the team. I think they felt like just give the ball to him and let him let him run with it because he's he's that type of player where you know he is a free spirit on his end, but you know he can't he can't uh, you can't just play the Cameron Munster style for eighty minutes. You know you've got to you've got to sort of have that in in the game, but you you've got to switch to a more sort of uh, you know like like a bit like Cleary and Jerome. The reason why they work so well together is that. You know, you'll have some sets where Cleary's running the ball, running the team, and then you'll have that set where Jerome's sort of running it, and then it becomes so hard to defend because you know that the predictable and then the unpredictable makes you know just it's too too hard to defend against that in a fatigue oriented game. So I think they need to think about that. Um, mm. Potentially Ben Hunt could be a bit of a starter just because I felt like. When it doesn't work with your spine, then you need to bring somebody in that uh, that can do something um, and and has a bit of experience. And I think they missed Papali as well. I think Josh Papali is one of those players where he can he can sort of change the momentum around with a bit of a you know with a bit of a, a good run or a big hit or you know even a try. I think in the last few seasons he's always been able to manage to to scrape through a, a try that that sort of was against the run of play. Um, they just, as soon as New South Wales got a roll on, Queensland didn't really have a way to sort of uh, fight that back. Um, and, yeah. and, and I kind of, uh, you know, this other thing that kind of uh, happened during the week was, um, you know, obviously DCE with his, um, you know, getting busy with the RLPA uh, player revolt against Volandis, right? <laughs> Which he then came out and denied, but a big distraction there. But then the... You know, oh, we've got a gentleman's agreement with, uh, you know, with New South Wales that nobody's going to like, you know, fake, um, you know, oh, milk uh, penalties or milk whatever. penalties and whatever. And I don't know. I don't think that's really, I, like, I don't think that's the kind of thing that you want to mention. Like, I, I feel like it's like, uh, you know, the fact we should really be on about on what are we, we're going to do whatever it takes to win, and we don't care if we're hated to do it. Do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think. Um, I think sometimes maybe this Queensland team wanted to be more liked than successful. <laughs> you know, like they wanted yeah. to have a they wanted to portray like a, a nicer image of Queensland. But the reality is, uh, you know, you're never going to like these are uh, these. You know, it's called Origin because the uh, the feelings run. Um, they run a bit real, right? Because it is about uh, you know, there's a passion element to this, which. Which which sort of uh, gets away from rationalism. So I, I kind of feel like they they just kind of need to change a little bit of the vibe around that place. And um, but but look, I I I do think that uh, you know I don't think New South Wales should take anything lightly. Like I feel like um, I feel like we're the most susceptible to sort of um, you know celebrating this and just thinking that uh, you know game two is going to work the same way as game one. I mean, game two is at Suncorp. It's their it's their traditional home, um, and they are going to be motivated. Um, you know, every player that played that game is going to be motivated that they do want to turn things around. Um, and I think it's going to happen. Like, uh, like I don't think um, you know, I don't think New South Wales should take any of it lightly. Obviously, celebrate the success that they have now, but then, you know, not all Origin games are going to be like that. Absolutely. Um... Just before we kind of wrap up the game kind of discussion, um, 
one of the things that you mentioned earlier and, and was definitely mentioned in the commentary was the fact that Queensland almost always in origin games, any origin game really, um, <clears throat> always has the last word on New South Wales, meaning they're always the ones that score the last try to just remind New South Wales, you know, whether they're, they're being flogged or whether they're ahead or whether, you know, particularly when it's a closed game uh, to win the game, uh, there seems to always be this tendency for Queensland to just play until the final whistle. It certainly feeds into the, the narrative of the, the Queensland spirit, fight until the fight until the end, uh, you know, never relax your concentration, that kind of thing. What we saw last night, Probably it's the first time I've seen it in quite a while, apart from when we saw last year when we won in the, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the last um, last minute. We we basically saw um, it was I think it was Isaiah Yo in the last mm. I think probably within the last two minutes or so. Yeah, there was a passage of play on the right side of the field uh, for for New South Wales. Uh, sorry, on the left side of the field for New South Wales, right side for Queensland. Dane Gagai was there. He was about to be pushed out into touch. They had an overlap. For all money, they were going to score that last try, uh, consolation try, they call it. Uh, and there was a, an very incredible, you know, incredibly desperate defence from a few players. I think Toa would have been there given he's on the left side. Um, <clears throat> the ball got passed back, and I think it potentially was Gagai at the end who went to ground. Uh, Isaiah Yo basically pulled him back just you know inches from the line, and then uh, Queensland had no, no uh, nothing after that. But basically, there were two try try saving tackles within the space of five seconds, um, and the the second one was the more kind of obvious one. But to me, that when I saw that, I thought, you know, yes, it's great to see this open football, but the fact that they they kind of desperately scrambled and did what they needed to do to stop that try, you know, they could have easily relaxed. They were f- 50 points to six up at that point, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's no – you could forgive them for kind of relaxing a bit and not, not going 100%, but – the way they played was the way they defended was like like it was six all with one minute to go. That's what it looked like. That's what it felt like. And I thought that, if anything, is a good sign going into game two that, you know, New South Wales did not let Queensland have the last word. In fact, Tommy Turbo was the last to score of all the players, uh, and that was on the 69th minute or so. So really it was, again, an example of New South Wales doing a Queensland, basically, you know, having fun throwing the ball around, throwing caution to the wind uh, and and being playing until the last minute and playing for each other. It was almost like they they the roles were, rever- were reversed, basically. We're mm. expecting Queensland to act that way in State of Origin. This is why they, they've been so admired in the past because of, you know, they really do take to the Origin concept and, and make it their own. And... I just get a really strong feeling. I don't like saying this. Could we be seeing Tish the start of a Blues dynasty led by the Penrith contingent? What do yeah. you think? Uh, look, we could, <laughs> too early to tell. Game one we, game. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I, th- I think, I think, as every New South Welshman has known since 1980, right? Like, our dominance <laughs> has not been our thing. You know, we've we've uh, I think I think we've won three series in a row 
like uh, like once, right? And uh, or like you know, I don't think I don't think it's happened that time. I, I don't think a Blues whitewash has happened for a long time either, right? So uh, winning a series three nil. So I think I think we're still we're still quite away from that. But look, I think the fact that it's Jerome's first game, uh, you know, uh, and and obviously partnering up with Cleary and. Yeah, they're going to be Panthers for the next few years. It's it seems like as well, um, you know. And I think the New South Wales squad was younger than the Queensland squad last night as well. Um, you know, like if you think about it, like Cherry Evans is actually at thirty two, um, and Jake Friend retired thirty one. So, um, you know, they sort of, you know, even even the fact that the New South Wales squad is a bit younger than the Queensland squad as well, which yeah, because you still got guys like Gagai. Um, you know Cherry Evans and and all uh, Felice Kafusi and so forth who who had a few years, um, you know, in at their origin level versus you know all these debutants and um, you know free spirited players type of thing. Um, so yeah, so look, I, th- I think you can can hit that, but it was, it's also dependent on eligibility. Um, and I know you sort of um, said that we'll park it because I think it's probably a, a good time to sort of let's bring it up bit. now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Mal Meninga um, basically saying that if you are going to play Origin, that he believes that it should be um, players who will make themselves available for Australia only. Um, and, look, the whole concept of State of Origin did begin as, um, you know, a sort of uh, a game that will determine, you know, who will be the Australian, um, you know, halfback, who will be the Australian 5-8. It was, it was basically a trial game to, to decide who's going to be uh, playing or representing Australia uh, out of the two competitions. So, um, and obviously they've, they've made it Origin because it's no longer from, you know, necessarily where you're playing currently, but it's more about where you're originally from and so forth. So, um, but uh, yeah, so, but now we've got this strong Polynesian and uh, Micronesian and you know, basically Pacific Island contingent within the NRL. I believe it's somewhere like 51% of players. And we've had players like Jerome Luai, like Ben Toho, uh, Brian Toho, and I believe um, uh, one of the forwards as well, Junior Paulo, um, who have all mm. said that they will pay, play for Samoa in the World Cup this year. Um, but then these players will play, uh, you know, will pick for New South Wales, which obviously Big Mal is against the thirteenth Immortal, so he's against that. So. Dr. T, what are your thoughts? First, do you think do you think these players should be eligible to play for New South Wales if they are not going to represent Australia later on this year? Look, I think we've had this debate and discussion before, and and you know it's not look it's not a simple answer, so I'm not going to pretend that it's a it's a simple one one way or another. But I think whenever we have these complex discussions, we need to think about what are the principles that we want to base our kind of decision on and 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 sort of agree to it or not Mm. and i think the way i look at it you know if you look at the criteria the eligibility criteria at a national level you know what determines obviously citizenship determines where people can uh play for what nation they can play for and but also in the case of rugby league it is also about um heritage and Mm. We do have this com- situation where, you know, m- Australia very much migrant populations. A lot of them are now growing up, have grown up, and are playing 
rugby league at the highest levels and this was inevitably going to happen where you've got players who can have multiple potential allegiances um, at a national level. And so that's one issue. But the other complicating issue is, yeah, but you can still meet the criteria of a New South Welshman or a Queenslander in in terms of state of origin. Um, you know, the, the I believe it's still the rule that it is the, the place where you played your first um, adult senior or football as a senior, you know, post-16 years of age, I believe it is still the same kind of rule. Now, if, if that is the case, then... Yes, you could foresee many situations where you've got someone who, um, you know, is tied to another country, but is also eligible for to play for New South Wales or Queensland on the basis of them meeting that criteria. Now, Mal Meninga, for Mal Meninga to say he believes that the purpose of state of origin is for it to be a pathway to the kangaroos, if that is the case, then they need to make that decision and that changes the eligibility criteria. Now, I personally think that is not going to be fair to a whole bunch of players who have, you know, first uh, generation of uh, the, the new migrants that have come in from other countries and in a multicultural country like Australia, this is going to become more and more prevalent. So I feel like Mal Meninga's stance is going to potentially close the door on seeing the best, the absolute best of the best on the basis of the fact that those players uh, have ties to other countries or want to play for their motherland or whatever, uh, which I think they're more than entitled to do. Now, having said that, so on the basis of that, basically I think, you know, Mal Meninga, I think it's yeah, it's his personal opinion. I don't think it's uh, it it should be uh, the the actual uh, position of the ARL. Um, I think if you do that, you end up devaluing the state of origin concept. Um, I, I understand why they want it to be the pathway to uh, the kangaroos, but I don't. But I think you've got to weigh it up according to the other things as well. And on that basis, I think they should just let that go and keep the criteria the way they are. Having said that, the other thing I need to say is regardless of what the right decision is and, and what's the best approach to take, I want to point out the hypocrisy of Mal Meninga and any Queenslander who wants to lecture people, especially New South Welshmen with backgrounds of Pacific Island nations, who wants to lecture us about um, the players that we are selecting for the New South Wales side. Now, I know he said he, he made the comment generally about origin, but you know he was talking about Jerome Luai and the Samoan players in the New South Wales lineup. Yeah. Now, let's let's remember, I'm just going to throw some names at you, Tish, just random names to, to highlight the hypocrisy here with uh, Meninga and the Queenslanders. Adrian Lamb, <laughs> Papua New Guinea captain, played for Queensland. Tony, Car- uh, Tony Carroll. Played for New Zealand and Queensland. Brad Thorne played for New Zealand and Queensland. Um, let's not talk about Greg Inglis. <laughs> you know, <laughs> actually, a New South Welshman played for Queensland. You know, like there's, there's, there's there. I'm sure there are other examples, but those are the main ones that, that come to mind. 
you know, the the height of, uh, you know, hypocrisy when the minute they see that they're, they're on the losing end of, uh, you know, potentially a new era in State of Origin where we get, we've got more of these kind of um, players with allegiances to other countries. Uh, I just can't stomach uh, the Queenslanders lecturing us about anything. Tish, that's my view on that. What's yours? Yeah, well, you brought up a great point. Um, you know, and 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 you know, modern like uh, Felice Kafusi, <laughs> who played last <laughs> night, has also right. represented Tonga and was born in New Zealand, <laughs> right? So, yeah. look, look, I, I think there's only one way to really settle this. I mean, origin. Um, you know, the word origin means you know the place where it all began. Um, you know, the players are used to COVID tests um, before, during, after. You know. So I think Ancestry.com need to step in. Uh, let's do a DNA test, uh, find out everybody's heritage, and then we can go back and play for, um, you know, wherever they're from. You know, let's go truly origin, right, you know? <laughs> like, you know, we're sort of going in. But, look, um, I, I just think, look, with the eligibility, like I think with, uh, you know, rugby league needs to grow internationally, so we have to think about it like this. Is it good for Samoan? players who will play for Samoa to play for New South Wales will all Queensland um, and it goes for any other nation would that actually help the standard of international rugby league or not because I feel like if it does then I think we should allow them but I but if it doesn't then I don't think we should and I'm not too sure I think at the moment the fact that the international calendar is so skinny um, you know all these players need to have some sort of big match experience some some international rugby league experience that is at a high quality. They're just not going to get that with international rugby league, just representing Samoa um, and only having the one test match against Tonga every year, uh, you know, as kind of the only real game. I think, you know, until we see more of an international focus from international rugby league and we've got more test matches with um, some of the tier twos and the tier ones playing against each other, and seeing that standard really grow, um, then I think then I think it's okay um, for the moment. Now I don't think you should at the same time be a, a, able to pick a whole squad of Kiwis, um, <laughs> you know, uh, for Queensland or something like that. You know, I, th- I think I think there's got to be a bit of a, a common sense and a bit of a balance. But I think overall, um, I think it's okay if people can 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 abide by the current eligibility rules. Um, you know, and and these rules, I, I don't know when's the last time they've been reviewed, but, um, you know, um, Queensland have won eight series in a row over the past 20 years with this type of eligibility. So um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's cause to change it now. Um, you know, I, yeah. you know, and look, I, I don't think Val, I mean, yes, he, he might be, you know, a sort of a bit scared about, you know, that sort of thing. But I, but I think obviously because the players have been a bit vocal that they're going to play for Samoa, which is probably what sort of, uh, you know, raised it within him. But, but you know, it's a, it's a sort of uh, it's a sort of interesting thing. So, look, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just on Mal Meninga's Wikipedia because I, I do know that he's got his Torres Strait Islander and I want to say that he had an association with Papua New Guinea as well. But he yeah, never he actually did. played for Papua New Guinea. But 
it's also got he's a former world Greco Roman wrestling champion. Is that is that true? Like that that doesn't seem like true at all. Right? Oh, has someone hacked his Wikipedia page? Is that what's happened? Yeah, it's his Australian <laughs> former rugby league footballer and former world is it what Greek, Nobel, Greek, Nobel Prize winner <laughs> Greco Greco Roman wrestling champion. That, that's possibly true. That's possibly true. So uh, yeah, look, no disrespect, obviously to Mal. Um, love Mal, of course. Uh, he's done great for the game, even though he thinks the game hasn't done great for him or at least he did a while ago but i i just genuinely think that's uh it, it it there's a lack of nuance here in that discussion in that kind of thought process of oh, we really need to have state of origin uh be the pathway to the kangaroos my question is why mm. it's a centerpiece of <laughs> it's a jewel in the crown of rugby yeah. league in terms of domestic um representation uh, representative football, why would you water it down? Like, mm. seriously, why would you do that to, uh, you know, can you imagine what what game the game would have been like without last night, without the Samoan contingent? You know, it wouldn't be, you know, yes, we have Tommy Turbo, but I'd honestly, like I said, there's something exciting about the, the Samoans and what they're doing and, uh yeah, and I think it's it's just we're potentially shooting ourselves in the foot there, um, which is typical of rugby league administrators, isn't it? Like, I mean, we tend to we've got great we've got the the will of the people, we've got an exciting brand of football, and then we've got you know people that want to um, question question it while we're succeeding. <laughs> it makes no sense. So, yeah. Anyway, look, that's um uh, that's my final thoughts on the game, uh, game one, state of origin. Uh, Tish, do you have any final thoughts before we move on? Look, uh, yeah, um, no, not really. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let, I think let's get going. Let's get going. All right, let's finish this off with uh, a look ahead. And obviously, no sooner have uh, we recovered from State of Origin, we're going to be looking at uh, the backup games. Uh, a new round is, is coming up shortly, uh, starting Friday. So we've got our tips. So here we go. Right. Um, so last week I got four out of five, which brought me, including this state of origin, which brought me to sixty-four points, and you got one out of five. <laughs> I think you served you right for not tipping the targets. That's the oh goodness me! How could you do that? And that brings you on uh, up to fifty-six points. So uh, still within shooting distance, obviously, of uh, of my score. But let's just launch right into it. Um, again, keeping in mind we've got players backing up, so those initial games that they will have had only a couple of nights rest. Manly versus North Queensland Cowboys. Uh, I'm tipping Manly. Yeah, I'm tipping Manly as well. Sharks v Panthers, and look. Cleary is probably going to be out of that, but I'm still tipping the Panthers. Um, yeah, interesting. I'm going to tip. Uh, yeah, I'm going to tip the Panthers on this one as well. Titans versus Roosters. Uh, I think the Roosters will uh, under Teddy uh, James Tedesco will do well. So the Roosters in that one. Yeah, look, I'm with you on this one, Doctor. I think the Roosters are going to be too strong for the Titans, even though this game is at home for the Titans. Um, Rabbitohs and Knights, and I think on the back of Damien Cook's kind of dominant performance in the middle, the Rabbitohs will take this one out. 
Yeah, I'm with you again on this one. Uh, the Rabbitohs, I think, are going to be too strong for the Knights. Canberra versus Brisbane. Uh, there was a time where that was considered the dream um, game. <laughs> Not so much anymore. Um, look, I think I think Ricky will get the Canberra Raiders firing again. I think they've had a lot of ups and downs this year, but I think this will be uh, an easy enough game for them. Yeah, well, it, uh, the temperature is going could be uh, at a minus at Canberra for this game. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to tip the Raiders uh, to, to obviously, uh, you know, weather the storm. Speaking of which, uh, Warriors versus Storm is the next game, a Sunday game in the middle of the day, 2pm. Uh, I'm tipping an upset, the Warriors. Yeah, well, this is actually going to be, I think it's called the Kiwi Fest. It's... Um, Basically, the Warriors are going are holding a uh, a festival to honor the Central Coast uh, and all their support for their team. Um, so I think the storm is going to come and ruin their party. Unfortunately, I <laughs> know oh, a bit like the Blues ruined the Townsville party. That's right. That's right. Uh, Eels v Tigers. Um, look, it's hard to tell, but look, I think the Eels will have to bounce back for this one. Well, they had a good win last week, the Eels, but so did the Tigers beating the Panthers. So I think I'm going to tip the Tigers on this one. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sunday, 4 p.m. Uh, at Bankwest Stadium. Uh, it probably will be a great game. And, look, this weekend is a long weekend. Uh, Queen's birthday holiday. So that mm. means the NRL, in their wisdom, decided to put a game on Monday afternoon. Um, Bulldogs v. Dragons. And I think, look, this is uh, it might, look. It might be closer than yeah. than a lot of people think, but I still think the Dragons will win well, quite yes, easily. The traditional Queen Victoria uh, holiday, <laughs> um, you know, game between you know the British Bulldogs, I suppose, and the and the you know Dragons. You know, a bit of royalty. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> I'm going to tip an upset here. I think the Bulldogs. Um, actually, oh yeah, I'll tip the Bulldogs. I was just thinking who who played for. Um, who played Origin for the Dragons, and I think there was actually like only one player. So, but anyway, look, I think the Bulldogs can can can, can uh, they've got to win one, and maybe maybe the uh, the buy and the rest has has made them well. You would you would think so. Look, hopefully Trent Barrett as coach would have learnt a little bit from uh, what uh, he's be you know his former mentor Brad Fittler did mm. in in the Origin space and. I'm, I'm, look, I'm hoping that Trent Barrett sort of shakes it up a bit and realizes that he needs to do something because uh, he's doing things the same way and it's not really working for him. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, this could be a tight game, tighter game than we realize, and the Bulldogs are only going to be looking up um, to improve this year. So, look, that's those are the tips for I think it's round fourteen. And that's it for this podcast. Uh, our review of State of Origin 1 obviously dominated the discussion. A lot happening there. Well done to the Blues once again for uh, pretty much a record-breaking performance um, in many ways. So, Tish, thank you very much. And over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T, uh, for another amazing episode. I'd love to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.